Nobody's ever like done like a watercolor of you? Uh, no, I would, I would love that, to be honest. I might cry if somebody made a watercolor portrait of me. That'd be great. Everybody, can you please, if anybody's artistic, please make a watercolor portrait of Levy. He's lying. He's saying he would love it, but like it would make him so uncomfortable. So please do it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Pink Bike Podcast. I'm Mike Levy. We've got an interesting one today. Brian Park is here with me for the first time in a long time, which means that we're definitely talking about 3D printing on this show. And we've got two guests with us who are doing some very interesting things in that world. Eric Olson of Bellingham's Jank Components and Brendan Carberry, aka Outside Brendan. Hey, Brendan, let's start with you. Give everyone a couple minute outline of who you are and what you do and where they could find your stuff. All right. Yeah, I'm uh, known online as Outside Brendan on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, uh, pushing the YouTube right now. So go subscribe to my YouTube. Thanks. Um, and uh, yeah, I love riding bikes and racing. It's gotten me through uh, university and all the hardest parts of my life. And I've always just wanted to get more people on bikes because I think it's awesome. Um, but I wanted to emphasize like that the best part about biking, which is to me, like it can be whatever the hell you want it to be. So, um, that's why I started this channel of, uh, kind of, I'm always been obsessed with product design and engineering, mostly fueled, uh, mostly that passion has been fueled by cycling. And, um, this was a way for me to kind of like share that, uh, interest of mine and outlet for me to kind of make crazy inventions and put them on bikes, mostly on bikes. Sometimes they are not bike related, but I try to tie it all in to the main theme of cycling and mountain biking in particular. All right, Eric, your turn. Who are you and what is Jank Components? Yeah, I'm Eric Olson. Uh, some people call me Janky Eric or even call me Jarek. I don't know why, where that one came from. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I guess less than two years ago, 3D printed um, a little one-up pump holder for a friend uh, here in Bellingham a dad uh, named Matt Shepard of a kid that I coach. And uh, it was perfectly timed because right after Mike Casimir came out with the, his little opinion about where are all the accessory mounts, you know? And then I had like the transition owner's Facebook page, like knocking down my door. Uh, and I was on spring break uh, and set up a little Shopify. And like before I even had time to fly back home, there was just like a huge list of orders for these little 3d printed pump holders. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. So you know, the business is called Jank Components because 3D printed parts are a bit janky and I'm a bit janky and set up a business before I can actually fulfill the orders. And yeah, so that's what Jank Components <laughs> that's is. It's always and a great strategy. I just make 3D printed parts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Fake it till you are sort of getting by. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> Brian and I, we have a bunch of questions about 3D printing that we're going to get to, but I wanted to start this podcast with a much more general question for you guys. Brendan, you first, maybe. What is the best bicycle innovation of all time and why? You have to back it up as well. Oh, man. Um, dang, it's bringing this one on me. Uh, the best bicycle innovation of all time. Um, I can only think of serious answers to this question right now, which would be like pneumatic tires or like going way back, you know, or maybe the, maybe just the drivetrain itself, because like 
You know, before that we had penny farthings and those things. You're pretty limited in your speed, pretty dangerous vehicles. But uh, nowadays, I guess it's got to be the dropper post. I think that's uh, changed mountain biking for the better. Eric? Yeah, I mean, I think probably the derailleur and the ability to change gears, which is funny because the derailleur is still kind of the most annoying part of the bike, but also the, maybe the best. Yeah, and there's still a lot of innovation in that space. I was wondering there for a second if the derailleur cabal had gotten to you and was paying you for that answer. <laughs> I love Your batteries. Peep- I just love batteries because I forget to charge them. It's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, gearbox people everywhere are so curious. <laughs> Brian, what would you say is the most innovative bike product of all time? Since you're also a 3D printer. I mean, I think those are all pretty good answers. I think it depends on what period of biking you're talking about. Um, I think probably the real answer is going to be somewhere in the logistics side of things. Like shipping things from place to place and having parts meet other parts in things. It's probably like... Um, some gauge that lets the things made in one country in one factory work with things in another. That's factory. not an interesting. All the standards. Answer. That's the answer. That's... The answer is standards that everybody hates. That's the answer. <laughs> yeah, take it. Standards. Without, oh, but honestly, without standards, we would have like a a Ford versus like yeah anything. It would be like cars or motorcycles. Um, where nothing works with anything else. So Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Let's get into 3D printing. Brian, you've got a whole bunch of questions here, uh, starting with additives. Why don't you take it away? I think just for every time we do a 3D printed pod or any technology-based pod, we kind of blow it by assuming everybody knows everything about 3D printing or or CNC or whatever else we're talking about. So I thought it would be great for Brendan and, and Eric to walk us through some of the basics of 3d printing um if you're a turbo nerd like me and you already know this stuff maybe skip ahead but just just from the very basics brendan or eric whoever wants to go first what what is additive manufacturing yeah i mean you just said it additive manufacturing means you're adding instead of subtracting so cnc would be subtractive manufacturing where you're cutting away carving away additive is you're building up and then you have less waste because you're not creating these chips or waste and materials. And Eric, did you go to school for additive or you did something, you were went in engineering school for something else? Um, I'm, I'm more okay. like composites focused. I don't think there's any real degrees out there about additive hmm. manufacturing yet like that I've seen, at least in the US. It's usually just like mechanical engineering or materials engineering. And I went more down the materials path. But instead of focusing on metals, I was more interested in composites. Cool. So what yeah, and I think, go ahead. I was, I was going to say like from the very basic, you know, for the person in their garage, who's just getting into 3d printing, you know, the process works like you have a shape that you want to print and then you either draw that shape or download it from the internet. There's lots of repositories for digital files. And then you put it in something called a slicer and the slicer takes that shape and puts it into layers that the 3D printer understands. So the 3D printer only understands putting down one layer at a time on a plate. So each layer is, you know, whatever you pick, higher, smaller, smaller layers means higher resolution. And then the printer just goes over and over and over and adds those layers up until your shape is complete. How, how thick are those layers? Are, they, are we talking like, like a tenth of a millimeter or does, does that change? How, how precise, how small do they get? Yeah, tenth to a, like... Point 
0.1, 0 0.2, 0 0.3, okay. depending on how quickly you're trying to print. So the, the thicker the layers, yeah. the faster you can print. You're putting down more volume per layer, but then your resolution and your layer lines are going to be a lot more visible. Oh, okay. So like a higher quality, more detailed product, you'd want those layers to be super thin. It's like a higher resolution, I guess you'd call it. Yeah, exactly. But then the print time exponentially increases if you have a higher resolution. Oh, yeah. okay. And then also materials properties actually change as well. So there's actually some like structural advantages to using a thicker layer height. Um, aesthetically, yeah. it might be, um, you know, not as nice looking, but if you're trying to make a functional part that's strong, there's, there's advantages to having those thicker layer lines in terms of that, you know, strength of the part. Yeah, the strength of the polymer itself is is stronger than the 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 interaction between the two layers that's holding it together. So if a thicker thicker layer means you're using more solid part and less relying on the adhesion between the layers. So there's less less sort of chances for something to fail because it's that yes. between the two layers connection that you have to get right every time. So if you're doing yeah, 10, but your inner layers, layer adhesion is also going to be better because you have higher pressures when you're pushing out a thicker um, layer height. And so then the actual bonding between those layers is going to improve too. Could you, could you just give an example of like a product where you might want thicker layers and a product where you might want more detail? Yeah. It depends on the size and the detail features you need. What do you print? Um, what so do you print your like pump holders and stuff on? Like what's the layer height? For yeah, those? usually around 0.3 or even 0.4 for wow. certain products that are larger. Like I know a lot of automotive parts that are getting printed, um, which is a thing, believe it or not, are getting printed at like like one millimeter layer heights on printers with large nozzle sizes. So Whoa. it's it's really scaled depending on what type of part and what detail you need. Are, are those? I don't know. And then if we're printing. Sorry. Hey. Oh, if we want, to, if we're printing Levy's head and we want to see individual facial features, <laughs> we want to see that stubble on his chin. Then we want really small layers because the strength doesn't matter. I don't, you know, it's just going to sit on a desk maybe or <laughs> bobble around on someone's dashboard. <laughs> we hope that's but, all it's uh, going to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wait, reeling it back a sec. We're talking about FDM three D yeah. printing. So yes. we're talking about um, basically a hot glue gun on a stick, <laughs> a, a CNC hot glue gun. To put it really simply, it's, to be it's fair, extruding plastic. Yeah. To be fair, the the sort of principle is pretty similar for like SLM, like selective laser melting or other types of like when we had the Athertons on, what they the the type they use, it doesn't it doesn't squirt out of a glue gun, but it's still being built up layer by layer in a powder bed. So it's a different yep. thing. It's a different mechanism, but it's the same theory. You're still building something up. Um, and you're still, and you're still adding rather than subtracting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think most 3d printing that's done by hobbyists, which I were kind of in the hobbyist category is mm -hmm. going to be that FDM 3d printing. I mean, that's what I assumed G Atherton just smashed the titanium into shape with his fist. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize I actually had a 3d printer over there. <laughs> I heard, yeah, he's doing his wind gate test and that powers the whole machine. <laughs> Uh, intimidation manufacturing yeah <laughs> um I, I mean that's really one of the reasons we wanted to do this podcast is that when the last time we chatted 3d printing it was with the athletons and they are making a bike 
they have products like real structural functional bikes expensive um, things though brian really expensive really nice i uh mm-hmm. i the atherton bike's really grown on me i think i think yeah. i might buy one yeah I, it's I, it's really sick I, they're probably the most interesting bike out there for mm-hmm. me right now but it's Same. that approach is a very different approach than what you guys are taking mm-hmm. they have like a million dollar simon's machine that uses lasers to melt titanium powder renishaw it's a renishaw machine i think yeah okay my bad it's a totally different um ball game but uses similar principles yeah and you know, as cool as all the Atherton stuff and people 3D printing bikes is, I think one of the things that's most exciting for us is that it democratizes a lot of sort of accessory, fun, um, sort of lower lift, not as critical structural components that are still really important to riding your bike and can really make riding your bike better. <laughs> like I bought my first 3D printer, my only 3D printer, because... I couldn't get a stupid, a single stupid plastic spacer um, in 2020. It was so frustrating. And it was just like, I, I've never felt so like useless in my life. I can't, like my bike is ready to ride except for this one stupid plastic spacer. That's obscene. So I don't know. I think that's why we wanted to have you guys on because you're making stuff that is solving problems for other people and sort of helping them help themselves. Today's episode of the Pink Bike Podcast is brought to you by Trail Forks, and I am not even joking about that. It's 11 p.m. right now, and I would literally still be out in the forest if Casimir had made me download this app about a year ago. What's that? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll say that too, yeah, yeah. I'm also supposed to say that Trail Forks is not responsible for getting your lost ass out of the woods. You got to call the appropriate people for that kind of help. But it sure is handy for when you think you're supposed to turn left, but you most definitely need to turn right. And there's over 530,000 trails on it from pretty much everywhere. Can you imagine how big your paper map would have to be to have all those trails on it? Huge! The best part? The free version of Trail Forks gives you a local map of your area, so you don't even need to pay anything. What's that? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll say that too. I'm also supposed to say that you can buy the pro version to unlock all the features for $2.49 a month when you combine it with an Outside Plus membership. Brian, how was that process, from your experience anyway, learning and, and creating something like that very first thing that you created, was that a frustrating process? How long did it take? Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to speak for myself. Um, I think I got pretty lucky. I, I went, I got that matter hackers machine. I think Eric, you're using the same one. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was my first and only machine. And I think like my third or fourth print was like perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was so I you know literally just plug it in. I I got the filament dryer at the same time, so I put my filament in the thing, installed the thing, fired it up, and then yeah, I did one test print that didn't work out because it was quite cold, and then um, I just like from there, tiny little tweaks, few little settings, and yeah, that day I had real things, not just. Not just that I downloaded off the internet, but I used that because nice. I had never done any 3D CAD stuff before. Um, so, but like I made my own stupid little spacer out of, I think I used Tinkercad at the time. Um, or maybe I just used Matter Control, one or the other. But um, 
the so like I'm not sure if I used the slicer or a 3D program, but I actually made the spacer that I needed on the first day. And I've mm-hmm. I've said this a bunch of times in a bunch of different things, but like pressing a button and then watching an idea that you had in your mind that you made on a computer and then like become a thing in real life. It, a lot of people will probably roll their eyes, but like to me, it's addicting. Yeah, like products come out of a box at a store, not yeah, not out of my brain. So. Uh, to me, it was it's gotten so, so much so easier cool. too. Yeah, yeah. Eric, what was your first experience like printing? Yeah, no, it's. I agree. It's it's addicting, and I think that like instant gratification. Uh, <laughs> it's just it's just so nice to press print, go for a bike ride, come back, and your bike your bike part is just waiting for you. Um, yeah, I think my first experience was in college. Um, a lot of campuses have access to like print farms where you just like submit a, a file and then they like send you an email and you go and pick up your 3d printed part. And it's like a print farm run by students. Um, wow. and then, and then I also had a friend named Elliot who'd built his own 3d printer. Cause that was kind of the earlier days of, of like hobby grade 3d printing was like, you'd assemble this whole kit and you had to be a bit more of like a, a kind of a hacker type of person. And now like Brian was able to experience the, the new hobby grade 3d printing yeah. experience, which is like you buy the machine, it's fully assembled. It shows up at your house. You plug your computer in, you click print and all the settings work perfect instead of just like trying to figure out G code and like, like the slicers have come so far and the whole experience is just so much easier. And I think it just keeps. Oh, yeah. yeah. I just bought a $100 3d printer made for kids and I uh, printed immediately without any setup printed derailleur pulleys on it for my wife's bike and she's been running them for two weeks it's gotten so much easier it's crazy oh wow everybody here's like back in my day these kids yeah. have it too yeah good. i know <laughs> i actually i i got into it the hard way the first thing i ever printed was a abs i was printing a oh. frame for a quadcopter i was building and it's just like i didn't know it at the time but it's like such a pain in the ass material to work with and you got to have an enclosure to keep the heat in it likes to warp it took me like a month, like literally a month of like trying almost every day to get this thing to come out properly, like with the right dimensions and everything. But um, yeah, don't start with ABS, start with PLA, but uh, it's so much easier now. And the printers are so much more reliable for the money than they were even like three or four years ago. Let's let's do a quick um, things that you would recommend for somebody if they're getting, if they listen to this podcast, you guys are so inspiring, they decide to go and buy a 3D printer. What would you recommend they do buy a buy and then B, what would you recommend they do and learn along the way? Like things like don't print nylon or ABS is your first print material. Um, yeah, I would start with, uh, for me, a direct drive extruder is really important. It's, there's two different types of extruders. One is a Bowden drive and it pushes the filament through a long tube down to the nozzle. And the other type that I'd like to use is um, direct drive. And the reason I like to use that um, is because I like to print flexible filament and things that means you can print things that are soft and gummy and, and squishy, um, like grips. Like I just made uh, grips for my bike that are like soft and they feel nice. And uh, it's really hard to print. Um, push. It's really hard to push flexible filament for, through a long tube uh, into, into the nozzle. So the direct drive extruder is the way to go. And also um, I would recommend uh, a printer with automatic leveling which is something that uh, is pretty common now um none of mine actually have it because they're a couple years old 
but um, that's something that'll really help you early on um, is with bed adhesion and getting your prints to stick where they're printing is a printer that levels itself before every print. That would be my two main suggestions. We could talk for a second about bed adhesion. It's it's more important than you might think, and I can tell by Levy's confused face. I have no <laughs> idea what you guys are talking <laughs> yeah, about. Sorry. So, so what? What? <laughs> Too much what, lingo here. Yeah. What that means? What that means is, Levy, when your 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 first few layers or your very first layer gets it's it's your glue gunning along onto a bed, yeah. onto a plate, and you need for the rest of your print as it prints up, you need it to stay stuck to that bed. Okay. If it comes that makes off, sense. And it's got to be in the right place. It's got to stay yeah. at home. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. the the first layer of that bed adhesion is really important. And if your bed is not where the if it's a little warped or yeah, if it's not where the computer the extruder expects it to be, yeah, then it might squeeze out your little sausage print above the bed, or it might dig into it, or just even just like the tiniest change can make it so that one corner lifts on a print and then you're fucked. You you guys also mentioned temperature too. It sounds like these things are I mean picky's not the right word, but I guess when you're building these small little parts, it's got to be like super exact and like nothing can move it and and all that. Yeah, to some extent. I mean, coming from like a CNC perspective, it's all like so much simpler and yeah. Yeah. You know, like the fact that there's 3D printers that have like manual bed leveling, like where you just kind of eyeball it is amazing. Like it's, it's honestly in the grand scheme of things, very loose, but from like a hobby perspective, if you're coming into it, it can feel pretty finicky if you're just not able to get that first layer to stick to the build plate. And so I think if you start with PLA and you use a PEI build plate, you're not going to have to deal with like glues or anything it's mm-hmm. it's going to stick really easily and you just kind of have to get it sort of level um and then if you have like brendan said i would also recommend automatic bed leveling mm-hmm. like these new 3d printers it's so affordable for it to just have this little sensor that it probes the entire plate and then it builds like a model of exactly the angle and the shape of the build plate and then it compensates in the g-code so instead of like the print thinking the le- the plate is level and then printing vertically, it'll just like compensate and print, you know, the first oh, yeah. layer yeah. at an angle because it knows and it's probed that the belt, the bed is not level. The thing is too, uh, after so you... So it's not actually like adjusting the plate. And then after you start doing it for a while, you start to shape your designs a little bit. Um, maybe not the design itself, but also maybe how it's oriented uh, based on, you know, you get used to what sticks and works as a print and what what doesn't work um so you kind of like change the way you model things a little bit um you avoid overhangs you avoid things that are too small and thin things like that yeah just just for pete to help people visualize um the the x and y axes are often pretty strong because it's literally just a long squeeze of tube but the z like up up and down that direction might be weaker um, because that's where the the interaction between each layer happens. So if you print something that gets forces a certain way um, in in the direction that it gets the forces, those things can just slip, yeah. and but the part will break. I printed my leg. I printed some pedals recently, the Lego pedals, and it would have been easier to print them like standing on edge on the bed because they have texture on both sides. And when you're 
printing, your bottom part is going to come out flat. So with a Lego brick on both sides, I wanted to print them upright. But if I had done that, then you can imagine the layers are perpendicular to the force from my foot and they would just snap as soon as I stand on them. Okay. And once you press print, how hands-off is it? Can you just like walk away and you come back and you have a, a bicycle part in your in your little box or what happens? Most of the time. Ideally. Yeah. <laughs> or you, or you right. come back. If you, if you follow Brian Park, you may have noticed he had a failed print the other day. Oh, I don't and want you to come talk back to a guys. giant pile of spaghetti. Yeah, sometimes it's so it's just start shooting uh, plastic into thin air and then you just come back to I a had spaghetti. An, I had an... I had an adhesion issue, and, um, and so the the parts I I wanted to print four parts at one time got greedy, and um, overnight, and then I checked it in the morning, and it was like ninety six percent done, everything was fine. Went and had some breakfast, came back, and it had totally failed. Like the two of the parts had gotten knocked off, and then it just cascaded into tons of problems so something something went horribly wrong and then i posted that on instagram and i think literally 60 people made the same joke about if i was printing 3d printed pubes <laughs> like making merkins dude i winter. had to google that i did so, not know that yeah. what that was and i was not happy that i googled that <laughs> <laughs> you need more coverage for winter it's fair. oh my god <laughs> so so what happens when things go wrong what are some what are some common 3d printing mistakes that people might make well, back in the day, also they the used nice to catch thing fire. also comparing to CNC, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, tell us some fire stories, please. <laughs> I didn't personally have any printers catch fire, but like ten years ago, that wasn't that uncommon for like a printer just to like melt or catch fire in your house, um, you know, because you had like G code telling it to do something it couldn't do, and it would just like short out and burn up. But they're they're they have better built in protection these days, so um, they don't it doesn't really happen anymore. Yeah, I think another advantage of 3D printing in comparison, I keep comparing to CNC machining, is like if it fails, you end up with, you know, a pile of plastic, but you don't end up with like a tool, like a metal, like end mill shooting through your head or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's relatively, relatively safe, safe is yeah, what I'm trying sure. to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's great to have in your garage. Yeah. Totally. Uh, still maybe don't run it in your bedroom with nylon fumes, just like going to your head yes the whole ventilate time, ventilate ideal. for sure um there's not a lot of um, data so, on fumes from pla and other things you know they say they're non-toxic but as my wife says uh, a lack of data is not a good reason to assume that it's safe so please <laughs> ventilate your 3d printing area it's also just kind of noisy so i would not want to sleep near a 3d printer it's a lot more eloquent than the way my wife put it to me, <laughs> which was, get that thing the fuck out of our house. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I, I think, Eric, you and I actually do use a Bowden tube um, printer, um, which... I have both, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have you, had, have you struggled with, um, with flexibles on it? Or do you do I just print it? flexibles on a direct drive. Okay, printer. yeah. I actually I have had... Pretty good success with with oh, that's that. good. The one that we have, it, but I've never yeah. printed like super super gummy stuff. I just slow it down a bit, and I've printed a few things mm -hmm. with rubber, and it's cool. It's yeah. it's like Levy. I, I I should bring you a couple of these things. Like they feel a lot more like real products somehow. Super it's so durable. Weird to... I see that. 
Yeah, like, oh, this one's like medium flexible, but it's like a. A very. Like a grabber yeah. or something. Yeah. Huh. That's so cool. But yeah, I should. I think one thing we kind of glossed over with Brendan is a lot of the things he makes um, are are jokes, are memes, and that's how he um, like his approach to 3D printing is to to sort of do those paradigm shift <laughs> jokes. What's what are some of the most like I don't know. I guess by the numbers, what's been the most like popular? Um, let's see. Probably the most popular mountain bike 3D printed thing I made was, uh, the tiny, uh, traction pads. Like they're, they're like max traction, like off-road traction pads only for your bike. And the video was like, I got stuck in the snow and I took this thing out of my pocket and like stuck it under my tire so I could get going again. And yeah, I got like 2000 comments, people telling me I'm an idiot. I could just pick up the bike and move it. I don't need the traction pad. (laughs) So my wife calls that those videos are usually the most successful. She says there she calls it the uncanny valley, right? Where you can't quite tell whether I'm serious or not. Like, am I trying to am I trying to sell a real product here or is this a joke? And it kind of works out well because you get, you know, a bunch of people yelling at me, telling me I'm an idiot. And then the rest of the people, it's kind of like an inside joke where they're like, oh yeah, like obviously this guy is making a joke. And I started making those videos. After I saw an advertisement, I think it was like ceramic speed or something for like a more aerodynamic derailleur cage. And I was just like, man, marketing is absurd right now. And I just want to make some I want products. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, never, I never put the two and two together that one of the reasons your shtick works so well in mountain biking is because there is such a fine line between parody and real life in marketing. Like there are so many totally ridiculous marketing campaigns and products out totally there. and it's been fun to like kind of share the design process by making those ridiculous products come to life because i can still teach something i can still teach design in 3d printing kind of like go behind the scenes especially in my stories but um the the ridiculous ideas are the ones that are the easiest to kind of like get out there get people talking you got uh you got recently featured by what's his name um I had to. You told me how to pronounce his name before. Oh, Kabi Lam, the uh, famous TikToker. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Who, who? Uh, I'm, I'm assuming he knows that it's a joke, but that he, he pretended, and that was a traction thing too, right? Yeah, I think that was that that traction uh, video that I posted, the traction board video. Actually, I think I had two of those. One was in the snow, and one was in the mud. But yeah, I'm, I can't remember which one he. Yeah, he, he did. Do-added. He did the mud one. Yeah, he did the mud one. Yeah, and he made he he's famous for debunking like life hack videos, and so it was pretty cool. And he uh, addressed my uh, my solution for for traction in the mud. <laughs> uh, you know, you've made it when you get lampooned by Kavi <laughs> right. on TikTok in twenty 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 two is weird, man. <laughs> yeah, Brendan, I think I first came across you because a friend who was not into mountain biking sent me your video, and that's how you know you've made it. Is that like mountain biker people aren't the only people who know about you. Yeah, I'm this very is, impressed. Thank you. So this is also part of my strategy to like bring people from outside of mountain biking into mountain biking and like give them a little bit of taste of like the culture and the memes is like just do stuff that kind of like, you know, is more interesting to an audience who has no knowledge of mountain biking at all. Like the one, oh, another one was really popular. I put a winch on the front of my bike, a tiny little winch and like 
winch off a tree. <laughs> I, I got a lot of hate comments I have, too. I have a question. Yeah, exactly. How many people message you thinking that you're being dead serious about these products and that you're like, you have a thing and that you're going to sell it? And Oh, a lot. Do people take this very seriously? Some people do. Some people like, you know, I, I've gotten like death threats. I've gotten like people <laughs> very angry. Um, <coughs> like someone found my somehow like found my mom's email or something and emailed her like just just people get really upset that i'm what telling, product like, oh, were they getting that like, mad I'm, about they think i'm scamming people and yeah but at the same time like those videos are the ones that people who get the joke enjoy it the most so it's um it's all worth yeah. it yeah you can't can't take it too seriously but yeah like my request section is always full it's and it's half like hate and half people really like what i'm doing so yeah Speaking speaking of requests, do you ever get people messaging you asking you to make things? Oh, all the time. Yeah, I think I, I have a list. I think I'm about three or maybe 350 ideas behind. Um, but about half of those what's ideas. The weirdest, what's the weirdest request? Oh, for making things? Um, there was a British guy recently who wanted me to make a... Like I, I made this little tiny holder for a tiny pizza on the front of your gravel bike. And he wanted one for holding his beans and toast. And I didn't even know beans and toast was a thing. Apparently, it's very popular in the UK. Beans, beans on toast. Not like next to the toast, on the toast. And he like yeah. didn't want his beans to slide off his toast while he's riding. So like a gimbaled bean and toast holder. And the other thing I get a lot is uh, I've gotten quite a few requests for foot pics recently. Seems to be a trend. And uh, don't, I don't, you know, it's like, nice to know I have a fallback Like 3D option, printed you know? foot pics? But wait, wait, wait. Stop. So people are asking you to print 3D. No, no, no. It, it happens after feet? I post videos with Crocs, and I often get requests for pictures of my feet. <laughs> Just pictures. Oh wow! Yeah. You might you know, have another career. It's a good. It's a good fallback. I think they they're worth a lot of money. I was oh about to God. say I was envious of the like. The direction that you go, like you get to do just these hilarious items, but then you mentioned that and now I'm not so sure. <laughs> well, I think like, I know I've gotten death threats. We know Brenda's gotten death threats. Levy, I think you've gotten death threats. Oh yeah. Yeah. I work online. Yeah. Oh yeah. Eric, Eric, you'll, are you, are you upset about this? You feel left out? Not at all. Threats? I'm, I'm glad I'm not as much of a personality on the internet. Honestly, <laughs> I, I could do without the death it's- threats. <laughs> The one one saving grace is that my face is not in a lot of the videos. I was with um, uh, my friend Sebastian recently, a normal mountain biker. Um, I'm sure you probably know his account. And uh, it was just like constantly people recognizing him on the trail. Can't go anywhere without asking, people asking mm-hmm. for a selfie. And uh, that would be pretty tough, I think. I would really be tough to deal with like going out to every event you go to, every trail ride you go to, and people just want selfies. And he handles it well. I and mean, he handles it really well, but walking walking through crankworks with jason lucas is the weirdest oh, experience oh yeah it's it like just people busting past pro mountain bikers to like and almost always like 12 year old boys <laughs> unfortunately but yeah like just ignoring ignoring big time mountain bikers to go and get jason's autograph it's so good i actually get recognized for my crocs from time to time <laughs> are you is crocs like flowing you something like they did send me some free crocs like 30 million views later and i got two pairs of free crocs so i i made it wow it's all worked it out 
Actually, my most my most lucrative uh, item was I I listed on on my shop for three bucks the digital file for the Croc snowplows last uh, winter, and I made six grand off of that listing. That was my most lucrative single item, wow. so I was pretty well, excited about that. That's a good transition over to like business side of things. You so you sometimes sell fi- like CAD files of things. Yeah, I haven't sold any physical products yet. Yeah. Just the files. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's obviously a lot less heavy lifting than what Eric does. Um, are people ever? Yeah, he's got a he's got a real thing going on there. Yeah. Um, do people ever get? Do they like expect that they were going to get a real snowplow for the three dollars that they paid for the file? Yeah, about about ten percent of people uh, get upset when it doesn't show up in the mail, and <laughs> I refund them their three bucks. <laughs> I'm assuming it says digital file in the in the head. It says digital file. It's three bucks, and you also don't have to put in your shipping address anywhere when you buy it. So there's a lot of giveaways, but people don't people don't read. They get excited. They see a Croc snowplow. They think it's going to show up in the mail if they pay three bucks, and that's it. I I just want to pause for a second. Just I just want to pretend that I don't know anything about what you guys are talking about. Can you explain? Like you're selling files for these things. How does how does this business work? Yeah. So I I draw the thing that I use for the video and then I 3D print it out. In this case, it was a snowplow that goes on the front of your Crocs. And so the file is in a format called .stl, which is the file that your slicer uses. We talked about slicers before. The slicer takes that and sends it over to something called G-code that the 3D printer can use to make the physical object. So I've designed this thing and then I post the file, the STL, on my shop and if people want to 3D print it themselves, they can download the file, put it in their slicer, and send it to the send it to their printer. Oh. Is it it's just as easy as like you would email me a file and then I would just sure. send the file to the machine and the machine does the thing. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Huh. It, wow. I mean that's that's some of the beauty of 3D printing is um that you don't you don't need to ship a product in, in a lot of cases, you know? Or you can get something made locally, even though the design happened far away. So like Eric and I were talking recently about like looking into the logistics of me helping him fulfill some of his Canadian orders. Um, just cause it's annoying to get things across the border. Uh, we'll still have to yeah. work out the logistics and see if that makes sense, but yeah, it's, we'll see. But it's, but that, I think it's a good illustration of the power of 3d printing versus CNC, you know, shipping a bunch of metal to one place, having it CNC'd, and then shipping products all over the world from there. Yeah. yeah. That sounds that does sound like such a neat neat process and a smart way to do it. I think we've I feel like we've been talking about or people have been talking about stuff like that for the last year or two like the, in the future we might be able to instead of buying a product, you know, you get the file exactly exactly like what you meant. But I mean from a if the person was looking for, let's say, pulley wheels, let's say you're making some aftermarket pulley wheels, I guess them, the onus is on them to make sure that it gets printed right. You know, like, I guess what I'm saying is um, when someone goes to the store and buys a product, the company knows that product, like it's sealed in this package and the, and the consumer gets it. But I feel like it's a whole different thing when you're just sending somebody a file and like, you know, Joe Blow is yeah. printing it out, something goes wrong. And I don't know. The thing is, it's, the the risk is really low because um you know it doesn't cost much to prototype with 3d printing so if you're someone who's 
just a hobbyist and you want to order a part or have someone design you something, you can try to print it four or five times before you get it right. And that doesn't cost you much. Okay. Yeah. With my business, I've struggled with this concept a lot because I would love to be able to just sell files to people and not ship products around the world. And 3D printing has so much potential for that. But at the same time, I want the product to actually work for people. Yeah. And I can't give everyone a full rundown on how to run their printer and what settings I use and what materials and like why I chose to print it this orientation. And then they could print it some other orientation yeah. and it's going to snap in half for them. Um, and your stuff is strong and durable and has a nice finish. And it's really hard to get that from a 3D printer without quite a bit of experience. I think we see a lot of cool thing, like companies are doing stuff like creating open source tools that people can download either shops or home mechanics can download to you know like i think hope has a has a big list of open source tools to work on their on their brakes and other products that's yeah, really yeah. cool um and and that's a thing that like they're they have low liability it's not a structural component and their designs change over time it's always frustrating to have to go back and change the tooling or God knows, like the shop doesn't, you know, they have the 2009 version or the 2019 version, but now it's 2022 and they don't have the right bleed block or whatever stupid thing it is. And it's nice to just have access to that. That's really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to back up what I said. I would actually like, I'd like to be able to not ship my parts all over the world. It doesn't make sense for me to 3D print something in Bellingham, Washington, and then mail it all the way to Germany or something like that. There's mm -hmm. definitely people in Germany who could print my parts just as well as I can. Many, many people there could do that. Um, it's not that advanced. Um, so I've definitely struggled and ha I don't have that many people ask me for the files, but when they do, I, I just try to make sure that they have a printer that they can actually print it properly. Um, yeah, if anyone all over the world wants to uh, become a jank components uh, <laughs> producer, please talk to me. I, I would love to not send things internationally. It doesn't make any Dude, sense. Dude, when I'm back in Toronto, when I'm back in Toronto next year, we should do it. We should do that. We should make your parts in Toronto to. for the yeah. Toronto. That would crowd. be amazing. Yeah. And I'm sure yeah. all the Canadian customers would love not having to pay $14 for their part to cross a border. It, it yeah. doesn't really make sense. Yeah, for sure. The, uh, look at this, Le Levy. We're making things happen on the podcast. Right, so nice. <laughs> one of the one Thank of the you, reasons Brendan. that yeah. I that I asked that question is, you know how many times I come into the shop and I don't have the right freaking like bottom bracket tool or this or that. It would be I just imagine I imagine myself owning a bike shop and like tools are changing all the time. I need this. I need that. And there's some like directory where I could go and like print out this pivot tool I need or this puller that I need or this bottom bracket tool that I need instead of ordering it and I would have it there and if I need 10 more I could print 10 more and they cost me whatever like, way cheaper than they would buying them I don't think I would be I don't think I would have a bike shop in 2022 without access or without a 3d printer just yeah you, you need to be able to make things there's a motorcycle shop just down the road from me it's like the old school um like the 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 cool kids moto shop and it's got like an in-house cnc setup and I, I i kind of view it the same way it's like there's a yep. certain amount of 
yeah, you need to get shit done. You need to go to a shop that has the ability to make things for you. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the future isn't everyone has a 3D printer in their home necessarily, but I think everyone has a 3D printer that can make what they want near where they live. Mm-hmm. And then we don't have to deal with giant shipping containers getting stuck all over the world. And, you know, like COVID showed how weak the supply chain is if anything goes yeah. wrong. And I think that's where 3D printing really starts to make sense. Mm-hmm. How, as someone who obviously doesn't know anything about this, how strong are these parts? If if I wanted to, there's a derailleur right here. If I wanted to make a derailleur, could you like, if assuming I knew how to do it, could I print out all these separate pieces and then use metal pins? And like, would it be a functioning derailleur that theoretically could be very strong? Is that a feasible thing? Yeah. Well, Mike, I think you've ridden yeah. on Cedric Evelay's uh, LAL drivetrain. Yep. And I believe that mo- a majority of that is 3D printed yeah. at the moment. I'm not sure if that's his long-term plan for production, but I think it worked for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. It worked great. And and those 3D printed parts are plenty strong. I was going to say, Levy, that one of the things with 3D printing is that it probably wouldn't be great if you just one-to-one replaced the parts on that derailleur mm-hmm. um, because those shapes are designed for their manufacturing processes, but you could yeah. definitely make a derailleur that is has at least a lot of structural 3D printed components oh yeah um certainly not all and and i will say that there are so many 3d printing people who there's all these crazy claims all the time it's just as strong as blood it's like well technically you can make it mostly as strong in most of the directions or maybe even lighter and stronger in some of the ways because it can do shapes that you can't do in cnc or other forging or whatever um like you can make these complex shapes so like technically it might be stronger in whatever but it's like it isn't really apples to apples and i get really frustrated when i hear a lot of 3d printing people act like it's the only thing like there's a lot of if you need a yeah. straight piece of if you need like the the cage like the derailleur cage it's just like a flat piece of metal or carbon like that is not a great thing to 3d print like there are lighter yeah. and stronger and cheaper ways to each cut it laser cut it or whatever you know yeah and it into shape it has to be the right shape for the job mm-hmm. like if let's just say you were gonna make this derailleur cage out of plastic it couldn't be flat like this i assume it would have to have some thing yeah. to make it rigid and in which case maybe it's not the ideal material for that but so i guess what are what are the limits of this stuff like currently right now um what what kind of stuff could you make and maybe down the road what kind of stuff would you like to make i recently did um one that surprised me actually was um I did a video for um, this brand deal I was doing. It was like a concept video where I made a 3D printer backpack and printed parts on the trail. So <laughs> I printed a um, a derailleur hanger for my Santa Cruz that was carbon fiber infused PLA. And it actually blew me away that it worked for quite a while. I got like four or five rides out of it before it, it didn't, and it didn't break completely. It just kind of cracked and was, wasn't shifting well anymore, but pretty surprising I was able to work. I was able to work at all, and that was in the same shape as the original derailleur hanger. Yeah. So he just mentioned carbon fiber filled PLA, and then Brian and I are both using carbon fiber filled nylon, which means that it has these like super super small pieces of carbon fibers in the plastic, um, not long fibers like a carbon fiber frame, but just 
these super short pieces that can then add to the rigidity and the strength of the plastic. And I think those materials are kind of the, the hobby grade cutting edge of like, mm-hmm. the, if you want a structural part, that's going to be tough that can, you know, hold your pump or be an adapter. Like recently I did a part that holds a SRAM blip box adapter, uh, because mm-hmm. the SRAM, uh, like, cross country team they run that button in the the grip i was making them a little adapter that screws onto their one piece synchros handlebar like little adapter pieces can be super strong that kind of thing that's where we're at now and then in the future i mean there's already printers that are kind of on the the edge like from mark forged for example that have long fibers being laid in and then you could make that derailleur cage with long carbon fibers and it would be rigid enough so i think as that technology trickles down to the hobby grade where we're having long carbon fibers laid into the parts, I think that's the future. How are you liking that nylon X with, with carbon? Cause you just recently, fairly recently switched, right? Yeah. I think it's been four or five months with that product and it, it's great. I mean, it's a little bit more expensive per roll and I'm actually trying to find something that's a little bit, uh, cheaper than the like brand name, like mm-hmm. matter hacker stuff at the moment. But yeah, carbon fiber filled plastic is great. And I mean, Brendan did a trailer hanger and it worked. That's amazing. How much do the materials cost? If, if like the regular normal stuff, let's not talk about the carbon infused things. How much does it cost to get like a, a, a bunch of raw materials and what does it look like? What does it come looking like? Is it liquid? Is it powder? I have no clue. Yeah, it comes in a, um, a roll of filament. Um, so it's, you know, usually it's 1.75 millimeters and it's usually in like a kilogram roll and it's been extruded into this perfectly 1.75 millimeter uh, diameter filament. Um, and then that gets fed through the um, the hot end of the printer. Okay. All right. Glue gun. And, Real and for PLA... Yeah, it's just a and your slicer a... before usually before you print the part, your slicer will tell you how many grams it's going to use out of that uh, one kilogram uh, spool of filament. But uh, a kilogram goes a really long way. Uh, yeah. I, I, do you know how much your uh, your bottle holder? I mean, your your pump holders um, weigh in terms of filament weight, or how much? How many you get I out think of a it's roll? Like less than twenty or thirty grams for most of my parts. Um, yeah. and I'm usually buying the nylon in, um, half a kilogram, 500 gram rolls. Yeah. That's gotta be a big upside to you guys too. I imagine it's, again, it's that additive process. So you're not wasting things. It's not reductive. You're, you're building things and I imagine it's better for the environment. For, for sure. I think in terms of, in terms of the people making products, it's, I flip flop on this because on the one hand, like the things that Eric is making for sale, like the, the the materials cost is not very high. Um, but it's still like, I don't know what yours, yours are, but like I, I've made a pump holder and I think my pump holder in USD, I think it was like, yeah, not that many grams and like a buck 20 or something in materials. But I would say that it's still a lot more expensive than the actual materials cost if you got it mass produced by a large brand. So like when, when a brand sells you a derailleur hanger or a 
pump holder that is injection molded or whatever else. They are like the vast majority of the costs of that product aren't really the material. It's all the labor, it's shipping, it's the, it's the fulfillment. It's all the, it's the brand, it's everything design, obviously. Um, yeah, like your, your normal, the pump holder that your pump came with probably cost the brand six cents, 12 cents in, in material. Um, whereas, you know, if, if the one Eric's doing is cost a couple bucks, it might sound like not very much, but it's still a much larger percentage of his total cost. Mm. Yeah. So I've actually chatted a little bit with the folks at one up. Cause I'm like, Hey, why aren't you guys injection molding an inline pump mm-hmm. holder? Like, to be honest, all of my products are pretty silly. Like, why does the brand not make this? You know, mm-hmm. I, I always have to like Google when someone gives me an idea and they're like, wait, really? No one's making this yeah, already? And then I'll 3D print it. But yeah, injection molding is the existing process for these plastic parts. And if you're mass producing, it makes more sense. But you, I mean, did they give you an answer as to why they're not doing it? I imagine they eventually will. Um they just said that they're sending people my way. I was like, really? Okay, cool. Uh, they're like, yeah, we just tell them to get the jank one. So thank you, one up. <laughs> thank you, guys. Um, they are cool people. Yeah, and I think in terms of one up, they have you know bigger projects that they're focusing on, and then also there is the downside of supply chain where you know maybe they were already struggling to get the parts they needed injection molded and then shipped um, from wherever they were produced to you know fulfill orders that were going out and in this case it wasn't worth their time to tool up a pump holder when they already include the the side pump holder with their pump i think that's one important thing to note about 3d printing too is it it lets a company like well, well both of you but especially eric here be not you can probably still sleep at night knowing that at some point one up might make a inline pump holder. Oh like, yeah. Like, yeah. You move on I to the next thing. It, it, the whole, the nice thing about 3d printing is that you can be so agile or, you know, if somebody steals your design and gets it mass produced overseas or whatever, like that would suck, but it's not, you know, your company's existence doesn't depend on some sort of one part, uh, one part that you just spent $60,000 on the mold for. Yeah. You know? How that's been like, I get the, I get questions a lot about, like, like if I make something good, like when I made the the magnetic goggle thing with Jiro recently, mm-hmm. people are like, oh, you should patent this or whatever. And to me, it's like, as a, as someone who's just interested in being a small producer and like owning the supply chain, if I was going to make it, and I, I I may decide to make it, you know, you just hit the market and sell some with strong with strong branding, and then when copycat cats come out, you just move on to the next thing because you don't have much invested in it. And you've you've added to the culture of the sport and, and made a thing and and yeah you don't need to like it doesn't need to be your whole life yeah exactly how how stealable are these things like Eric with your with your pump mounts if somebody has one of those is it as simple as like somebody I mean I'm sure it's not simple but could someone just like scan one and print one themselves and then they've taken your design how does that work oh yeah I mean. There's other, I mean, Brian's got his own pump mount. Like, I, I'm not going to pretend like a pump holder is innovation and like, oh, I'm like going to be super, you know, hardcore about protecting my pump holder design. Like, honestly, I don't really care. I think I'm just trying to make these parts because people are asking for them. And then like Brendan said, you know, once something new comes up or one up has the time to injection mold, awesome. Like, 
Mm-hmm. I have no hard feelings about any of that. I think, yeah, go for yeah. it. If you think you can make a better one, you should do that. I think that would be perfect. Yeah. And you can print it yourself. What? But what happens though, like let's say a year from now, you do have a product that you've put a lot of time and effort and design into and, and it is a business and you are making money. I mean, I have a, I have a, I have an anecdote to share on that with, um, I hope he doesn't mind me sharing. There's a guy who made those, um, those air tag holders. Um, um, he l- look him up on, on, hold on. Let me get his Etsy. Uh, was this guy really aggressive about protecting his design? Yes. Um, okay. He was, but he was really aggressive. It's, it's project for a G Z E on Etsy project okay. four. For a GZE, easy to remember. Levi, well, Levi, you'll you'll recognize Great that brand. engine. Yeah, <laughs> but he so he, um, he made a a little air, the like the very first AirTag holder, and I saw it like the moment AirTags were announced. He he like made one for and just like posted it up on Thingiverse or whatever Reddit. Um, and he he put it up on under a, a commercial. Um, or basically he put it up with a license that said like anybody can make this, but don't commercialize it. Um, and within like three days, um, a bunch of overseas companies had taken his design and were making, were making and selling it, um, that they had an injection mold and stuff. It was a, it was an air tag holder that went under your bottle cage. So he, he got quite aggressive about defending it. He took it down, he moved it all over the place and he, He's actually, you know, he's done quite well with it since, I, you know, he's sold quite a few and I think it, it's a side hustle for him, but he made a lot of money last year with it. Um, I don't know. And I think it's the best one. Like, um, if you need an air tag holder that goes under your, under your, um, bottle cage, it's, I think it's a really good one. It's quite light. It's very strong. He does a great job of serial printing. Um, but like for him. I mean, he, the fact that he was aggressive about it and defended it pretty well, got most of the stuff taken down, it did let him be the first and therefore like he won all the Google wars on this and has ridden this product. I don't, I, I assume it'll taper off at some point, but like he was able to make that run for a year at least when it could have just run for like a minute. And I would never, I would have just been like, ah, whatever, I'm moving on to something else. But that would have been a mistake. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I respect that he defended the, um, like, non, not for commercial use sharing of his product. Like, a lot of these files are shared with a license that says, hey, like, you can use this, but please, um, you know, legally, you're not allowed to sell this. And I think they were basically breaking yep. that um, that law or that rule, that license yeah. agreement. And it's, it's easy for me to say, like, you know, I'll just move on to the next idea. But I also have the huge luxury of having like a massive audience of like a quarter million mm-hmm. people. And it's not like marketing is not an issue. But for someone who's got a great idea, who yep. is just getting started, it can be very intimidating. I was, I'm just going to say that I was like 99% sure Levy, when he was talking about like scanning things and stuff, was going to make it phallic all <laughs> of a sudden. Just going to put that out there. Never. I mean, Brendan. <laughs> Brendan can always fall back to three D scanning his feet and releasing that for a million dollars. Yeah, I think Levy. To answer your question, I don't think three D scanning is up to the point where that would be the best way. But if you had the CAD skills to make your own pump holder, or if you somehow like 
I don't know, stole my design and then started selling it, that, you know, would be a way you could. Yeah, it's still way know, easier just, to draw yeah. stuff than 3D yeah. and then scan it. Yeah, totally. Okay. Levy, I, uh, I, I demand that you do a, um, a, sh- a, sh- a shootout between mine and Eric's. Okay. This is very important. <laughs> this is hard hitting journalism. Yeah. I, I need that. Like Brian's is two grams lighter. I need that in my pros and cons. I need that claim to fame. Yeah. Two grams. High hardware. <laughs> I'm working on a, uh, a helmet mounted pump holder currently. So we can, you yes. can compare all three. <laughs> Innovation. Yeah. <laughs> I I shudder to think what it pumps like. You can connect it to something. <laughs> Actually, maybe forearm mount it would be the way to go. It's right at yes. right on hand all the time. Yeah, minimize yeah. downtime. Yeah, I, this yeah. totally I just. Think, I just unlocked. It's a just weird not memory. that serious. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, sorry. I think. I think that's a really good. Question thing that you bring up, Eric. It's not that serious yet. Is that a problem? Is that like the people's perception of 3d printed product, like your, you called it jank components. You definitely err on the side of things being functional rather than pretty. Um, do you, is that like a struggle for you? Do you think that people like it cause it's 3d printed or don't like it cause it's 3d printed? I don't know. I mean, I'm just putting it out there. Like if people want to buy it, they can see that it looks the way it does. And, if they understand like, oh yeah, I'd love to have my one-up pump tucked underneath my top tube or, oh, I'd like to have it in my swap box or whatever. Like if you get it, you get it. And if you are going to be upset about the quality, like I'm just, I just want to be like fully open that it's, it's janky, it's weird and it, but it works. Um, and if you're down with that, you know, pick one up on the store, but if you're not totally fine, no worries, you know, (laughs) it's, yeah, it's, pretty laid back it's it's i think mountain biking is pretty laid back and if you're like really worried about everything looking perfect like jank components is probably not the brand for you (laughs) you. yeah i guess i just always wonder for brands like maybe not you but like atherton or bastion or sturdy cycles or some of these folks doing 3d printed metal or or even 3d printed plastics that are done with like an hp machine or something else like one of these other sort of higher tech processes um, that it must be frustrating for them to be trying to sell a product and people to associate like weird home Etsy projects with what, what they're doing. I think Eric's doing it right by Eric's got the right idea by setting Mm -hmm. the tone with the branding, right? It's awesome. It's super clever. The problem is more, I guess that it's the people who over overstate what they're, they're doing it it's it's you have to pay more because it's 3d printed yeah i don't think that's people are gonna buy it because it's 3d printed no yeah well very few people are gonna buy it because it's 3d printed um i've i've actually ordered a bunch of 3d printed stuff for my sim rig and about half of the stuff that i've got it's been like fairly rough i mean i could care less you know it's to hold a thing or to do something it doesn't really matter and then the other half the stuff I've seen to have gotten have been like finished pretty well. So as someone who doesn't know anything about this stuff, is there a certain amount of work after it comes out of the printer to finish it up, to give it a nicer finish if you wanted to? Or are these people using a different process that might make it look nicer, the finished product look nicer? Um, ideally, there's, if you, ideally, there's not too much work that you have to do after you 
take it off the printer. A lot of the design work that goes in beforehand is kind of intended to make it uh, easy to to finish it. Maybe like a little deburring, and hopefully mm-hmm. that's that's it. But um, if a printer's not tuned properly, you can, it can be rough. Maybe some of what you have is um, FDM printing, and some of what you have came from like a SLS or resin 3D printing, that it's just, yeah. which is a different style. It pulls it out of a liquid vat. Those might be the smooth parts you're getting. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Which for What's the a record? Oh, uh, like a silly video game thing to drive cars. <laughs> oh, cool. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. yeah, yeah. But there's a huge 3D printing market for this stuff. Like Etsy is massive for sim stuff. Oh, really? The um, just for the for the like process, the the resin stuff is quite cool because it's neat little lasers, and um, there's a pretty big commercial application for it even within mountain biking those um physique and specialized have saddles that are done essentially in a resin one i don't uh, Mm -hmm. those guys have i know a few folks over at that it's called carbon is that particular manufacturer Mm -hmm. i keep meaning to check in with them but um basically i have one of those specialized saddles and it's the quality is insane you would never think this didn't come out of a well, God, who knows? You think it came out of a spaceship? It's isn't that like a six hundred dollars seat though? It's a bajillion dollar seat, yeah. and, wow. and at some point it will be not that because it's not, it's not doesn't need to be that expensive that process. Um, but it's I still think it's probably way more expensive in materials to do to print that than a normal saddle. So, mm-hmm. not that I'm justifying a six hundred dollar saddle. Don't buy a six hundred dollar saddle, people. I'm working on a seat right now to go with my Lego pedals and Lego grips and Lego, <laughs> Lego seat. The Highly the requested spectrum. Lego seat. Yeah. <laughs> cutting, cutting edge. Oh, that's so good. Um, but the resin print stuff is very cool. It's just very not useful for traditional mountain bike accessories because it's not as strong. Even the super strong resins that they're coming out with now. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Eric, you might have a different opinion, but I've I've played around with a few other people's resin products, and I've been like, eh. yeah, resin is definitely maybe a little bit further behind on like the hobby market because it's pretty messy and stinky in general. Yeah. <laughs> like the resins are kind of not super fun to work with, but there is a ton of potential in terms of quality. Um, one thing I've played with with the resin printing is printing a mold and then injection molding in the resin mold. And then you get the surface finish um, to be smooth, but then you also didn't have to, you know, invest in a metal like machined injection mold. I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, The resins are in general, not as strong as the thermoplastics. Um, So I think that was kind of my way of getting around that was resin printing a mold. Maybe I need 10 parts out of that mold injection mold in there i'm i'm not uh gonna do that i think for products it's just still too much work but it, it's been fun to mess with that's and cool i think maybe in the future the technology will catch up and that that could work pretty well levy for your phallic needs that's probably the way to go <laughs> yeah i'll send you yeah, a well, file you can pour a silicone you know yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah only yeah, the file don't worry don't don't look in the weird corners of etsy Hey, Ladies you, off to do some you mentioned... X-rated 3D scanning. Yeah, <laughs> I've already done it. I'm ready. 
Eric, you mentioned making a mold there. And at the start of the podcast, you mentioned working with carbon fiber and that kind of stuff. Um, just to clarify, could you, could somebody like make a mold to make a carbon fiber component like at home? Is that what you were getting at? Um, so I was talking about a mold for injection molding, which is where you squirt plastic into the mold. And that's how most of our, our plastic consumer parts are made. But um, in terms of a mold for composites, uh, carbon fiber parts, that's already happening in aerospace. Um, molds are being printed out of uh, peak plastic, P-E-E-K, or similar types of really high temp plastics. Yeah. And then they're being used as, you know, maybe one or two parts are laid up into that mold. And then maybe the mold is then destroyed um, soon after. It's just for like, we need this one part for our satellite or something like that. Yeah. Um, peak plastic is quite expensive and challenging to print. So, you know, like, for example, if PLA is $20 per kilogram, peak plastic is $200 for oh, wow. uh, 500 grams or something like that. It's it's a more expensive material. But yeah, there, there is a lot of potential. Um, and I've, I'm really interested in those things. I know that... Um, the folks at Ibis have even looked into yeah. that technology when they were gearing up for their made in California XE frame. Um, they have an aluminum mold um, that the heating is built into, which is also really cool. Oh, they yeah. didn't go for 3D printing, but yeah, it's definitely on the horizon. Yeah, it's not impossible. But there's also um, an, an, a US uh, mountain bike manufacturer that mostly does things overseas, but they're looking at bringing things back or at least doing some models back, and they do a ton of interesting things, 3D printing some of the like internal bladders and stuff out of flexible filaments. Oh, that's cool. Um, but while we're talking about molds, I just wanted to tell everybody to please go and uh, watch the Easy Composites YouTube channel. Every one of us is nodding here. So Easy good. Composites. It's, the, it's so satisfying and so in-depth on making real things. Um, the designer for that, for the current um, We Are One bike um had a his own like sort of downhill bike project in there a few years ago but more recently they did a, a whole series on 3d printing a forged carbon product they did a motorcycle brake lever and then they did a bunch of testing on it and they did the ones that they did where they did hand laid slightly longer fibers um where they just sort of guesstimate but they still st just like stuff chop fiber in there and then compression like molded it in compression in a 3d printed mold um performed super super well so that's yeah every time i watch one i leave and i'm like i could totally make oh. anything and then yeah and then Dude, i don't know my will make to it live look really easy yeah my Dude. will to live like drops off dramatically after i start like thinking more you know how many times i've gone to the easy composites website and had a cart full of like a, a vacuum pump and bags and resin and all this stuff i wanted to make a uh, roof skin for my mini. It seemed like a simple, mm -hmm. like kind of two D flattish kind of thing that I might <clears throat> might be able to do. And I I went there multiple times to fill my cart out, but then I chickened out. I didn't think I could do it. Well, I don't think. <laughs> well, and it's in the UK, so yeah. the shipping is a pain. So yeah, if anyone exactly. wants to start an easy composites type business in North America, I would be a huge customer. Yeah, same. Uh, I think we actually can't get those the easy composite stuff shipped here because it's like dangerous materials. Oh. They don't. They don't like to put it, or at least we can't get it by airplane. Maybe we can get it by boat. I'm not yeah. sure. I think it's yeah. hard to ship some of the stuff here. Yeah. 
as we're wrapping it up, let's talk a little bit about the environmental aspects of 3D printing. I think they sometimes are overstated, um, both in energy and waste. You can still take a lot of energy to make things. Um, how do you guys approach that? Yeah, so I have two ways that I manage energy and waste. The, the, the waste part is um, I prototype everything in PLA. So PLA is pretty easy to recycle. Um, I get a box from a company called TerraCycle. They're available in the US and in Canada. I fill up like a like one box a year basically with like failed prints and things that didn't work out of PLA, ship it to them, gets turned back into PLA filament. Um, there's other companies like I think Printerior Designs is doing all recycled filament. And a lot of people are also um, recycling filament at home. But TerraCycle is a good option. Just throw it in a box, ship it off to them. I do about one box a year. And then, yeah, the... the the energy requirements are pretty pretty low. Um, I run three 3D printers most of the time, and um, I've got a small solar setup and a little battery bank that uh, powers the whole thing for my channel. So that's like covers all my energy wow. requirements for anything I make for the channel. Your wait, your entire thing is solar powered? Yep, I have. I'm actually working with um, uh, Blue Eddy, and they gave me a bunch of panels and a little battery bank that powers the whole operation. Yeah. Huh. Weird. Taking That's advantage so cool. of the California sun. Neat. PLA is very cool. It's it's made from like cornstarch. Yeah, something. but it's still um, plastic. I mean, it's it's technically it's compostable, plastic, yes. but it's like industrial composting. So you'd really need to have live in a place where they do that industrial composting. It won't break down in your yard, mm-hmm. um, and it's better. You're better off sending it somewhere to have it recycled. For sure. I just mean that it's it's a it's a, essentially like a waste product from other from like sugar cane or corn oh yes it is yeah it's not petroleum based and yeah. stuff it's like yeah it's not petroleum based eric you i mean we chatted earlier about just the energy reduction in maybe getting things not shipped all over the place or getting it manufactured locally but there's also your even if you are shipping your pump holder from here to germany there's still a lot less shipping involved and a lot less waste involved versus somebody getting something injection molded overseas it going through three distributors then from from a distributor to a shop and then getting shipped back out to germany yeah totally and i i feel super self-conscious about the fact that i ship things internationally and i actually i just collect amazon mailers that are just going to get thrown away. And I, I ship everything in, in a reused Amazon packet just because there's just so many of those floating around. And I mean, sure, it saves me a few bucks. And then also I just feel a little better about the whole thing because mm-hmm. yeah, I just buying mailers and like the, the amount of waste comes a lot from the shipping, not the 3D printing yeah. itself. But then also what Brendan said with TerraCycle, the, the waste can be directly recycled back into filament, which is really neat. Um, but yeah, I think supply chain, I mean, track did their whole, uh, kind of like emissions study, which was kind of cool mm-hmm. where, and it was the shipping that does it. Mm-hmm. So if 3d printing can work, like we hope it does where we can have 3d printers in our local area, I think that's what's going to make a larger difference. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'd hope will happen in the future. Mm-hmm. My biggest environmental impact that I am not really able to offset is just the view time, like people watching my videos on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. It's like an insane amount of energy used, actually. By far outweighs anything I could make at home or anything I could ship. 
Wow. I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> That's wild. I mean, our, our biggest impact is going to be, for sure, all the planes we get on. I don't get on any planes. I know you may. I think yeah. it's the server space <laughs> you pre- for the pink bike comment section. I think that's your biggest impact. <laughs> oh, yeah. Levy, Levy doesn't get on any planes anymore to go to press camps. And, and we just say that it's for the environment, <laughs> but really it's cause he doesn't want to get on any planes. <laughs> cause I'm scared shitless. <laughs> All right. I want to wrap this podcast up with one last question for you guys, Brendan, let's start with you. Um, if I wanted to get into 3d printing, I don't know anything. Where should I start? What should I do? Do you recommend a machine or a place to go to learn? Yeah, I would buy, personally, I would buy a brand called Sovol, S-O-V-O-L. They're an upgraded um, Creality. The Creality brand is like the the go-to beginner um, printer. And then Sovol kind of upgrades their stuff a little bit. Uh, makes a couple like key things that'll make it reliable over time. So I get one of those and then just, um, yeah, go head to, head to YouTube and start watching 3d printing videos. Lots to learn there. Mm -hmm. Eric, you got some advice for me if I want to get into this? Yeah, I was going to mirror the like kind of Creality clone. 3d printers are a great place to start. That's where I started uh, when I was getting jank components going. Um, you can go a long ways. You can get a $200 printer and make thousands of dollars with it. It's just all about the the products you're making on it. Um, or you can just make whatever you want at home and not show it to people because it's embarrassing. <laughs> it's also a totally viable option. Especially if it's my feet or like phallic related. I'll just keep those ones to myself. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, and, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then if you are trying to commercialize, I'd say like we've, we've mentioned Etsy a lot, but I honestly think that Shopify, mm-hmm. um, if you're going to set up more of a formal business with, you know, a website and stuff like that, it's going to just look a lot better. Um, and then you can pretend like you're a real business, even when you're just someone printing things out of your garage. Yeah. And then you can, you know, go and bike tour around Europe for a month and, uh, you know, have your printer running. In so sick, dude. It's a great gig. That's that sounds so cool. like quite the setup. Yeah. All right. Uh, do you guys have pink bike accounts? Yep. Yeah, I don't. I Eric don't uh, use it very, very often. I'm usually just lurking. But yeah, I do. Yeah. Yes. Same here, to be honest. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, this podcast is going to go up uh, later next week. So I would love it if you guys got in the comments. I'm sure some people are going to have some oh, yeah. questions after this podcast. There's going to be lots of 3D printing questions in there. So everybody listening. Put your questions in there, and then we'll get Eric and Brendan to get in there and, and yeah. answer some questions. I love going and, to battle. Yeah, yeah. and if anybody we'll wants like any specific advice on 3D printing or design or in, in general, just DM me on Instagram. Um, yeah, or shoot me my emails on my Instagram profile, so shoot me an email. I'm happy to answer yep. your questions. And one last time, Brendan, where can people find you and find your stuff? I am outside Brendan on all platforms, uh, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. But YouTube will probably be the best going forward. All right. Eric, where do people find you? Yeah. Uh, jankcomponents.com and then at jankcomponents on Instagram. And then my personal endeavors uh, biking around would be at jankyeric. All right, everybody. That's it for today's podcast about 3D printing. We will see you next week. And don't forget, put those questions down below. Bye.